This program is made possible by BibleWayMedia.org, overseen by the Uloga Church of Christ in Uloga, Oklahoma. You're listening to Opening the Scriptures with Don Boyd. Welcome to the program today. This is Don Boyd with the Moody Church Christ. I want to welcome you to Opening the Scriptures. In our study today, we want to look at the book of Job, beginning with chapters 1 and 2. Job chapters 1 and 2 can be divided into three sections. The first section is the character of Job. The second section is the misfortunes of Job. And in the third section is the arrival of Job's three friends. So let's begin by looking at the character of Job. And this is Job chapter 1 verses 1 through 5. We have a description of Job in verse 1. It says, There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright, and one that feared God and eschewed evil. Job is described as a real person, as he was. He lived in the land of us, which is believed to have been somewhere east or southeast there of the land of Canaan or Israel. Been the land of Canaan at that time. We see that Job was a spiritual man. He was perfect and upright. That does not mean he was sinless, but it does mean he was a moral man and he was spiritually mature. You think about in the New Testament there in 2 Timothy chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, where it says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect. The word perfect there from the Greek word teleos, which means complete. Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. That would be a good description of Job. A man that was perfect. A man that was complete and upright. Again, he was a moral man and spiritually mature. Spiritually complete. Job is one that feared God. He regarded God with reverence and awe. And it also says that Job eschewed evil. That's a word that means turned away from. So Job turned away from evil. He avoided evil and actively opposed it as we are to do. Go to Ephesians chapter 5 verse 11. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 11. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. That is the kind of man that Job would have been. Now in verse 2, Job was greatly blessed with family. And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters, a nice large family. And Job was a man of great wealth, verse 3. 
And his substance also was 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels and 500 yoke of oxen and 500 she-donkeys and a very great household. So that this man was the greatest of all the men of the east. So not only was he a man who had moral character, spiritually mature, he was greatly blessed in his life with good family and all of this wealth that he received. Job's wealth, though, did not interfere with his devotion to God. That is something that human beings have a problem with. You think about the rich young ruler that came to Jesus. He had a problem. His wealth controlled him. Job is just the opposite. Job controlled his wealth. Job did, let's look at verse 4. And his sons went and feasted in their houses every one his day, and sent and called for their sister, three sisters, to eat and to drink with them. So there was social activity among the family. Apparently they got along well as we look at the things that are taking place here. Now, Job was also the priest for his family. That's another indicator that he lived in the patriarchal period. Verse 5, And it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them, and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. And again, you'll notice he says it may have happened in that way, but Job was the priest for his family. And though Job was rich, he was very liberal in helping the poor. Let's go over a little further in the chapter and the book of Job to Job 31 and look at verses 16 through 22. Job 31 verses 16 through 22. He says, If I have withheld the poor from their desire or have caused the eyes of the widow to fail, or have eaten my morsel myself alone, and the fatherless hath not eaten thereof. For from my youth he was brought up with me as with a father, and I have guided her from my mother's womb. If I have seen any perish for want of clothing, or any poor without covering, if his loins have not, been, have not blessed me, and if he were not warmed with the fleece of my sheep, if I have lifted up my hand against the fatherless when I saw my help in the gate, then let mine arm fall from my shoulder blade and mine arm be broken from the bone. So right there, Job is telling the things that he did, the good that he had done for others. There's other places where we find that as well. There in uh, chapter 29, he mentions several things that he had done. You come down to verse 12. He says, Because I delivered the poor that cried and the fatherless, and unto him that had none help. The blessing of him that was ready to perish came upon me, and I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. I put on righteousness, and it clothed me. My judgment was a robe and a diadem. 
I was eyes to the blind, and feet was I to the lame. I was a father to the poor, and the cause of him, or the cause which I knew not, I searched out. I break the jaws of the wicked and pluck the spoil from his teeth. So there we see in those two instances or those two passages the kind of Job, a man that Job was, one that was rich and one that was very liberal in his helping the poor and others. So Job was a good man, a pious man, a rich man, and apparently a famous man. And when we get over into the study of chapter 29, we're going to see he may have also been a magistrate or a judge also. But then we come to Job chapter 1, verse 6, down through chapter 2, verse 10, and we see the misfortunes of Job. Job 1, 6 through 2, 10. In Job 1, 6, God pulls back the curtain of the spiritual realm to give us a view inside. Job 1, 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. The sons of God would refer to the angels. We see here that the angels are required to give account of their actions because it says they came to present themselves. Well, Satan came along with them. Satan was a fallen angel. We've studied that before. And it's useless to speculate why God allowed him to enter there except to say that God allowed him to enter. I mean, there's no other reading, no other need to speculate any further. Now, the first conversation here in the book of Job between God and Satan is found in Job 1, 7 through 12. Job 1, 7 through 12. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast thou not made a hedge about him, and about his house, and about all that he hath on every side? And thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. All right, so we begin looking here. And we see that Satan, God asked Satan, the Lord asked Satan, where are you at? Where have you been? He said, from walking to and fro in the earth and going up and down in it. The question arises, is Satan still doing that? Well, Peter answers that question in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, where he says there, be sober, be vigilant, 
because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. So what was Job or what was Satan doing in Job? He was walking about seeking whom he may devour. And who did he who did he want to devour? He wanted to devour Job. Because whenever we look in verse 8 there, the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? You look at the Hebrew there, it means, Have you set your heart on my servant Job? Job, being upright, maturely, uh, mature spiritually, Satan wanted to devour him. So yes, Satan is still doing that according to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. So we need to be sober and vigilant. Well, Satan there answered God in verse 9, Well, Job only serves you because what you have done for him. Look what you've done for Job. You put a hedge about him, put it about his house. Everything's going great. You blessed him. He is wealthy. He is rich. He has family. But you put forth your hand. You allow me to get a hold of Job, and we're going to get rid of some of this stuff, and I'll just show you, Satan is saying, basically. Job doesn't worship you because you're God. He worships you because of what you give him. There's a reward there, you see. That's why Job is doing all this. That's why he's your, your pet, you might say. Well, God said to Satan, <clears throat> everything he has is in your power, but don't touch him. So right there we see that Satan cannot do. He is not all powerful. We'll put it that way. God's all powerful. Satan had to ask God permission to do what he's about to do. Now, beginning there in verse 13 down through verse 19, we see what Satan thinks of us human beings because we see what he thinks of Job. Verse 13, And there was a day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And there came a messenger unto Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them, and the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them away. They have slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Five hundred yoke of oxen have been destroyed. The donkeys there have been destroyed. Five hundred female donkeys there. They've all been destroyed. And your great household, the servants that were there, serve, are taking care of them. All of them were killed except me. And I came to tell you. Well, verse 16, while he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The fire of God is fallen from heaven and it burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee, all 7,000 sheep have been killed. All the servants that were taking care of them were killed. And he says, Fire from heaven did it. Fire from God fallen from heaven. Verse 17, while he was yet speaking, 
There came also another and said, The Chaldeans made out three bands and fell upon the camels and have carried them away, yea, and have slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. All 3,000 camels and all that were watching them are dead. Only I am escaped. While he was yet speaking, there came another, also another, and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. We see that that took place there in verse 4. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house. And it fell upon the young men, and they are dead. And I only am alone, escaped alone to tell thee. Can you imagine, no longer than it takes to read this, all this happened to Job. And who was behind it? Satan. Satan was behind all of this. Job is now financially bankrupt. Marauding raiders, natural disasters have wiped him out. All ten of his children killed in a windstorm. Well, that's not going to be the end of it. Job is going to be attending ten funerals. How is Job going to react to such a weight of grief. Verse 20. Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped. And said, verse 21, Naked came I out of my mother's womb and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave and the Lord had taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. Job rent his mantle. That is a sign of grief. As an example of that, go to Genesis chapter 37, verse 29. Genesis chapter 37, verse 29. It says there, And Reuben returned unto the pit. And he, behold, Joseph was not in the pit, and he rent his clothes. You know, Reuben came back to rescue Joseph from his brothers. And they had put him down in an old cistern, apparently. And when he came back, Joseph was gone. And through grief, he rent his mantle. He rent his robe there. So that is a sign of grief. Then Job shaved his head. That is a demonstration of sorrow. An example of that is in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 20. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 20. It says, In the same day shall the Lord shave with a razor that is hired, namely them beyond the river by the king of Assyria, the head and the hair and the feet, it shall can also consume the beard. So that's a sign of sorrow. Then Job fell on the ground and worshipped. You know, Job didn't complain. He didn't blame anyone. He finds a cause to worship God because of all his calamities. How much is that different from 
people that you you know around you whenever their spouse dies well why did God take my spouse why did God give me this illness <laughs> we blame the wrong one we should be blaming Satan why did Satan do this why did Satan do that because Satan is the one that's behind it all and Job realizes he brought nothing into this world He's not going to take anything out of it. So what does he do? Instead of cursing God, he blesses God. And Job did not sin or charge God foolishly there in verse 22 that we read. The literal translation translates verse 22 this way. In all this, Job did not sin nor charge wrong to God. God. Job didn't charge God with anything. He just he, he thanks the God's behind it, and he's going to see that all through the book of Job. But he didn't charge God with wrong. But Satan's not finished with Job. You see, Satan's never going to give up. You know, we may overcome a temptation, but guess what? the devil's coming back he never gives up when you go over to Luke chapter 4 and you see the the temptations there that are given by the devil as recorded in Luke whenever Jesus was in the wilderness in verse 13 of Luke chapter 4 says and when the devil had ended all the temptation that Jesus defeated every one of them. He departed from him for a season. You look up the word season, it means occasion. Set or proper time. Oh, you may overcome temptations once, but you know what? The devil's coming back. He's coming back for the right occasion. He's coming back for the proper time. And that's what the devil is doing, going to be doing here with Job. Uh, the second conversation between God and Satan that we have recorded in the book of Job is found in Job chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. And let's look at those verses. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said unto Satan, From whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil, and still he holdeth fast his integrity? although thou movest me against him to destroy him without a cause. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin. Yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. But put forth thine hand now and touch his bone in his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in thine hand, but save his life. 
There in verse 1, again there was a day. What's the time lapse between chapter 1 and chapter 2? We don't know. We don't know how long Job had to grieve over the loss of his wealth, but worse than that, how he had to grieve over the loss of his children. Ten funerals again that he had to go to, had to bury his seven sons and ten daughters, or seven sons and three daughters, not ten, ten total. And Satan was still doing the same thing. He was still going up and down in the earth, walking to and fro through it. Now what was he trying to do? Seeking whom he may devour. He still had his heart set on Job. And that's what the terminology there is. Have you set have you considered my servant Job? Have you set your heart on him still? He's still perfect. He's still upright. He's still one that fears God. He still turns away from evil. He still holds his integrity, even though all this has happened to him. Well, what was Satan's answer there? He said, skin for skin. Brother Wayne Jackson in his work, the book of Job on page 22, explains that this way, and I quote, The patriarch is accused of selfishness. He has willingly traded the lives, skins, of his livestock, servants, and yes, and even his children, thus feigning devotion to God, in order to preserve his personal welfare. But, says the adversary, touch his bone and his flesh, and he will renounce thee to thy face, unquote. So what is Job saying, or devil, the devil saying about Job? <laughs> oh yeah, he'll willingly give up all that stuff, but he's selfish. He's self-centered. You touch his skin. You put uh, disease on him. You touch him. Then he will curse you to your face. He doesn't worship you because you're God and you're worthy to be worshipped. He's still expecting to get something out of it. So God says, all right, you can touch his skin, but you cannot kill him. Well, what about Job's terrible disease? In Job chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, we see what Satan is able to do, is willing to do to get a person to turn from God. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown. And he took him a potsherd to scrape himself withal, and he sat down among the ashes. The two most common ways this disease that Job has has been identified are leprosy and elephantiasis. Encyclopedia America's definition of elephantiasis is this. 
It is a condition in which part of the body becomes grossly enlarged due to the thickening of the skin and the underlying tissues, unquote. The complications of Job's disease are given in the book of Job. And Wayne Jackson lists these with some additions on page 22 of his The Book of Job. And we'll look at these. Verse 7, boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. All up and down his body, these boils. In verse 8, it said he took him a pot shirt to scrape himself with. He's itching, he's scratching with this broken piece of pottery. And he sat down among the ashes. He had no better place to go. He couldn't sit on his furniture because of the boils. He sat down in the ashes. Maybe an ash heap that they had where they burned things and such as that. In verse, and I will skip down to verse tw uh, 12. He had a drastic change of appearance. It says, and this is when his friends came, and when they lifted up their eyes afar off and knew him not, they couldn't even recognize him because of the drastic change in appearance this disease caused him. It says they lifted up their voice and wept. And then you go over to chapter 3, verse 24. He says, For my sighing cometh before I eat, and my roarings are poured out like the waters. He had difficulty eating because of his disease. We see mental depression in verses 25 and 26 of chapter 3. For the thing which I greatly feared is come upon me, and that which I was afraid of is come unto me. I was not in safety, neither had I rest, neither was I quiet, yet trouble came. Mental depression. In Job chapter 7, verses 4 and 5. Job 7, 4, and 5, we see the worms that got in his flesh and the running sores that he had. When I lie down, I say, When shall I rise and the night be gone? And I am full of tossings to and fro until the dawning of the day. He can't sleep at night. He's tossing to and fro. Verse 5, My flesh is clothed with worms and clods of dust. My skin is broken and become loathsome. So he couldn't sleep. He wanted the day to come. And his skin broken up and the worms that would be in his skin eating that flesh, that rotting flesh. In chapter 9, verse 18, we see shortness of breath. Chapter 9, verse 18. He will not suffer me to take my breath, but filleth me with bitterness. He was suffering from hard to being hard to breathe. In Job 16, 16, he mentions darkness of eyes. 
Job chapter 16, verse 16. My face is foul with weeping, and on my eyelids is the shadow of death. And then his breath being odorous, there in chapter 19, verse 17. Chapter 19, verse 17. My breath is strange to my wife, though I entreated for the children's sake of mine own body. Bad breath, I guess, would go along with that. Loss of weight. While we're here in chapter 19, look at verse 20. My bone cleaveth to my skin and to my flesh, and I am escaped with the skin of my teeth. Very loss of weight there. And then also look at chapter 16, verses 7 and 8. Chapter 16, verses 7 and 8. But now he hath made me weary. Thou hast made me desolate all my company. Thou hast filled me with wrinkles, which is a witness against me, and my leanness rising up in me beareth witness to my face. Very lean here at this point. No longer healthy looking. In Job chapter 30, verses 17 and 18, we see that Job's bones are corroding and he has gnawing pain in his bones. Verses 17 and 18. My bones are pierced in me in the night season and my sinews take no rest. By the great force of my diseases, my garment change. It bindeth me about as the collar of my coat. Bone pierce, excuse me, bone piercing pain. Pain in his sinews that gnaw at him. Give him no rest. And in his garment, with all the running sores and things, is now apparently binding to him as the collar of a coat. And then in Job chapter 30, verse 30, my skin is black upon me and my bones are burned with heat, blackened skin and intense fever. All of these things going on. And Job had to endure this horrible condition for months. While we're here close to Job 29, look at Job 29 verse 2. Job 29 verse 2. Oh, that I were as in months past, as in the days when God preserved me. He'd been, we don't know how long, how many months Job was having to endure this. Look also at chapter 7, verse 3. Job 7, 3. So I am made to possess months of vanity, and wearisome nights are appointed to me. Think about it, months of not being able to rest, tossing and turning all through the night, never being able to get any rest for months. That's what Job was having to experience at this time. Well, 
all this disaster came upon him, and it's accompanied with domestic discouragement. Let's go back to Job chapter 2 now and look at verse 9. Job 2, 9. Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. You know, she apparently cared for him. She hated seeing him go through all this, and she herself went through the loss of wealth and the loss of her children as well. And she's telling Job, why don't you just curse God and die? Forget your integrity. She thinks God is doing this to them as well. And isn't that the way people are, as we explained a while ago? God, why did you all this? God, why did you that? What are they doing? They're cursing God. Well, we can see why Satan spared her life. Though she would have gone through the same anguish and loss of everything, she didn't have Job's disease, but you think about it, whenever you have a spouse that you love and they're going through something like that, it's hard. But what did Job answer? Job 2.10. But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? In all this did not Job sin with his lips. The word evil here doesn't mean God does evil, but the word means calamity. It doesn't mean moral wickedness. You know, are we not? Do we, should we, are we always going to receive good at the hand of God? And are we never going to face calamity in this life? Job goes, that doesn't make sense. Job maintained his integrity, integrity, and he did not renounce God. And Job never does renounce God. Now, as we go through the book, Job's going to say some rash things later on, but he never accuses God. Well, in verses 11 to 13, Job's three friends arrive. Now, when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that was come upon him, they came every one from his own place, Eliphaz the Tebanite and Bildad the Shuhite and Zophar the Naamathite, for they had made an appointment together to come to mourn with him and to comfort him. And when they lifted up their eyes afar off and knew him not, they uh, lifted up their voice and wept and rent every one his mantle and sprinkled dust upon their heads toward heaven. So they sat down with him upon the ground seven days and seven nights and none spake a word unto him for they saw that his grief was great. Well, they all heard of the calamity that came upon Job, and they were determined to come and to comfort him. They wanted to help Job in any way that they could. Now, little is known of these three men or where they came from. There's a lot of speculation on where they may have come from, but 
the only really thing that we can say about them is they must have been close to the land of Uz or in the land of Uz where Job lived. And when they arrived, they did not recognize Job because he was so disfigured by the disease that he had. And they sat in respectful silence because they saw his grief was very great. Wayne Jackson on page 25 of his work, The Book of Job, stated this. Their silence is quite understandable. First, they were shocked that this powerful man had been so reduced to a depraved level. Second, they were deeply wounded at his plight and probably did not know what to say. Third, they were confused. They had believed Joe to be a good man, but now he is afflicted sorely. And in view of their theology, this has to mean he was a sinner. Their confidence in Job's goodness has been shaken to the core, unquote. <laughs> they didn't know. They didn't understand. You know, at least to their credit, these three men did travel from their homes to be with a friend at, at the time that he was grieving. They were correctly motivated. They were sympathetic. They could be touched with the anguish of others. But when they saw him, and they saw what he was going through, they didn't know what to think. Because in their minds, Job, you're suffering greatly. What have you done? as we're going to see whenever we get into the speeches of his three friends. Well, Job was a righteous man. Horrible things happened to him. You know, people in general think that if something horrible is happening to you, you must be a terrible person. And if things are going well for you, you must be a wonderful person. Well, bad things happen to good people. And good things happen to bad people. Now, Job did not know that Satan was the instigator of everything that happened to him. But he did know that God is righteous in everything he does. You see, why did Satan want to devour Job as we talked about earlier? Well, it's because Job was God's number one example of a faithful human being that is willing to serve God just because of who God is. Not because he was receiving wealth, not because he was in good health, not because, <coughs> excuse me, he had a big family and 
They were all getting together all the time. No, Job didn't serve God for that reason. Job served God because of who God is. And we need to have that same attitude. Job is a great example that is of a person who is willing to take the good with the bad that comes our way in this life. We must never attribute any action that occurs on this earth to the injustice of God because God is just in everything he does. God was proving a point to Satan, yes, but we have it down in the Bible. God is proving a point to you and me today. Bad things are going to happen in our lives. There's no doubt about that. Good things are going to happen in our lives as well. But God is always just. God does everything right. The devil is out there, and he is going to try to destroy us. He wants to devour us. When bad things happen in our lives, don't blame God. Blame Satan, because Satan is behind it all. Well, once again, this is Don Boyd with the Moody Church of Christ. I want to thank you for tuning in to be with us today in this lesson on Job. And we look forward to doing the future lessons in Job as well. Moody Church of Christ, we're located in Moody, Missouri. They're on Highway E. There's a corner there in the city. And we're right at that corner on the west side of the road. Uh, Moody, Missouri is located in southern Missouri about... Oh, 10, 20 miles, something like that, south of West Plains, Missouri. So if you're ever in our area, we want to invite you to come and to worship with us. Our times of meeting are Sunday morning at 10 o'clock for Bible class and 11 o'clock for a worship period. We also meet at 6 o'clock Sunday evening for another worship period. And then on Wednesday night, we meet at 6 o'clock also for Bible study. So thank you for being with us today, and we look forward to being with you next time. When you're in Moody, Missouri, you're invited to visit the Moody Church of Christ, located on Highway E in Moody, Missouri. The congregation there meets on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for Bible class, 11 a.m. for worship, and then again at 6 p.m. for Sunday evening worship. They also meet at 6 p.m. on Wednesday night for Bible study. We thank you for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this program. You can find out more about Bible Media by visiting us at BibleWayMedia.org. You can also find us on several uh, social media platforms now. You can find us not only on Facebook, but you can also can find us on Tumblr. You can also find us on the Twitter alternative known as Telegram and on the Facebook alternative known as MeWe. We hope you enjoyed this program. We hope you will share with others. And as always, we thank you for listening.